0: Hey, um, yeah, my name is Bobby, and I'm super glad to be here. I'm having some nostalgia flashbacks being here. Hey, I have some of my friends here from the Cambria Vineyard, and, um, woo! Hey, we met in a lot of really cool places. Uh, we started out at the, um, the uh, Chamber of Commerce, and then we went to the Pewter Playhouse, then we went to the elementary school gym, and then we went to the high school gym. And at the high school gym, I mean, it reminds me so much of this, only your guys' bathroom is behind the door. So I'd be trying to make some really good point, and the bathroom was really like right in the back. And all of a sudden, be real quiet. And all of a sudden, you hear, you know, the toilet be flushing. You know, it's like ah, you know. So don't you love being in a gym? I just love it, you know, because you think about what's more important, mission or mortar, you know. And I think that's so good that we can be here in the community, right in a school. I think what a, what a great statement to the community, what a great statement to uh, to God and to the church. And so I love the fact that you're here, you're in a school, that uh, you're amongst the people. It's it's really great. Hey, let's pray, and we'll get we'll get jamming. Lord, thank you so much uh, for today, and just for the privilege of being your son and your daughter. And Lord, thanks for all my friends and uh, my family, and thanks for the Central Coast, and thanks for your heart, God, for for people. And uh, Jesus, I pray today, Lord, that you would teach us by your Spirit, God, that you would teach us the way of love today. Lord, we welcome your presence, God. We just really sense you're here. And Lord, your presence is like a like a night blossoming jasmine on a hot summer night, Lord. It's just so sweet. It smells so good. It's so good to be near you and with you. And Yeah, so we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so I am going to talk about today, uh, I had like this real slick, I'm not slick, but this real incredible message, and <laughs> I was really going to impress Ralph Cuseri, you know, because he's such a theologian, you know, all these my points, and... And basically on Friday, the Lord just said, you know, kind of trash, don't get rid of that or hold that, put on hold, and just share who you are and share your heart. So I'm, this is my life message, and, uh, you know, my wife always says, well, you only have really one or two messages. I've heard them all like a hundred times, you know, and, and it really is true, you know, pretty much. I, there's a few things that really I feel like that God has really put on my heart to speak and to be and to impart to others as well. So what I really want to kind of focus on today is, this morning, is ask this one question, and here's the question. What do you think really matters to God? What do you think really matters to the heart of the Father? What, what's really on his heart? What, what is preeminent in God's heart that he wants us both to know and to experience and to put into practice? And, you know, in, in churches oftentimes, um, what we do, we end up spending a lot of time thinking about and wrestling over a lot of issues, don't we? I mean, oftentimes, man, it's whether it's policies or politics or procedures or the building or this or that, And although um, those things are important, what we can end up doing over a period of time, we can end up kind of majoring on the minors. And we spend so much time and so much energy and so much resource on things that really don't have too much eternal value, I think. And I think what we end up doing is we, we end up missing out on what really is valuable to God and to the heart of the Father. So this morning, what I want to try to do is answer that question, what do you think really matters to God? So I'm going to go to a text that probably a lot of us are super familiar with. And we're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 together. So if you have your B-I-B-L-E's out or if you brought them with you, Cameron's actually going to put it up on the screen, which is so sweet that he can do that. And uh, let me give you some background to the church in Corinth. If you know anything about the church in Corinth or any history at all, it was a young church. It was a growing church, but it was an incredibly immature church. And, uh, you know, when you look at some of the issues as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and, you know, there's dissensions and there's rivalries. You know, they said, I'm of Paul, or I'm of, a, you know, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of, you know, whoever, you know, and there's there's jealousy, there's there marriage issues that were going on, and uh, there is relational conflicts, there's lawsuits among unbelievers, there was, you know, misuse of communion, there's misunderstanding and immaturity in the gifts of the Spirit. And the reality is, issues that are still very much with us today and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I, when I was thinking about this last night, I, I, I was reminded of a time where um, we had our church in Cambria. I think it was going for a couple of years. I don't really remember. And we had a bunch of people starting to come. And we were all just a bunch of hippies that kind of got converted in, you know, from different streams of life. And, and we had all those issues going on and more. I, I remember going to uh, an area pastors meeting and just complaining, I got these people coming. And, you know, and, and we're, you know, I'm just like one step ahead of them. And they're all messed up and this and that. And, and the guy just started laughing. He just started, ch- and said, he said, that's great. And I go, great? He goes, no, man, that just means you have, your church is growing. It's a growing church. You have growing pains. If you don't have growing pains, your church isn't really growing. And so the reality is, it's okay. It's, it's, and this is how the church was in, in, um, in Corinth. And I think it's really interesting to know it. I don't know if you guys have ever, have ever flashed on this or not, but 1 First, First Corinthians chapter 13 is sandwiched, right between you know, chapters 12 and 14. You know what you're saying? Wow, well, Bob, that is like a brilliant deduction, you know? Yeah, you know, I... Right, okay, so, but it's there for a purpose. It's, it's, it's there in a strategic place because the Lord is trying to speak to us, hey, what's really valuable to God? What's, what's important to God? What's that perspective that we need to see and understand as we approach the Lord? And, and 1 Corinthians 13 points out, I believe, two really critical issues. The first one is, what really matters to God And the second issue is what real maturity actually is. And I want to just say the main evidence for maturity in our life is measured, I think, by three things. And by the way, just let me stop and say this. Oftentimes when I talk to people and uh, I'll talk to groups and, you know, we'll get around people and because there's such an, um, you know, we're so goal-oriented we say, you know, what's what's the goal of being a follower of Jesus? And everybody says, you know, I, I should ask you guys. What's the goal of being a follower of Jesus? What do you think? Freedom. Anybody else? Love? Peace. All those great things. Well, a lot of times I ask people and they say, well, the goal is getting to heaven. And I say, no, no, that's not the goal. That's the destination. God, see, folks, God's goal in your life, and God's goal in my life is to make us just like Jesus. It's to conform us into his image and likeness. And you say, well, where's that in the scripture, Bobby? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, you know, Paul says, you know, God causes all things to work together for good, for those that love him are called according to his purpose, because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his image and likeness. So your destiny and my destiny is to become more like Jesus every day. So God will allow circumstances and situations in our life to deform to us and to mold us and to shape us. That's why we have to remain humble and hungry before God and soft and, and, and pliable in his hands, because ultimately what God's after in your life and what God's after in my life is to make us more and more like his son. That we might reflect him. That we might be like him. That we might be those see-through servants that people can see through us and see Jesus in us. so we can reflect him in a, in a world that's, that's longing for reality and longing for the truth. But I think there's three primary issues, I think, that are, that are, that are evidence of maturity in our life. Number one is a growing love for God. Now, know that sounds really simple, but it's a growing love. It's like nobody's ever arrived. We're all in process, and really, as a, the, the journey is the destination, right, gang? I mean, we're all in process. Some of us a little further along the road, some of us a little further back, but that's why we need one another, encourage each other along the way, and we're all on this journey together, and, and if there's a growing love for God, you know, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I mean, that, that's maturity. Wanting to have just a passion for Jesus, just wanting to know him and, and to be known by him, and not to be led astray from that sim- just that simple, pure devotion to Jesus, just loving God. You know, there's something beautiful. There's something contagious. There's something real. There, there's something so genuine. There's something that's so anti-religion in that. You know? And, and so it's just, it's just loving God and grow, having this ever-growing love for God. And the second thing, I think, is having an ever-growing love for God's people. You know, the church. I remember the first conference I went to a long, long time ago. And uh, I remember uh, the, the, the founder of our movement, John Wimber, saying something. And it stuck with me. And it's so embedded into my heart as, as a, like a value in my life is that he said, you know, we need to learn to love the whole church. We need to learn to love everything that God loves. You know what God loves? He loves the whole church. He loves everything from the smells and the bells to the swing on the chandeliers and everything in between. And so from early on, I, I, you know, I'm so grateful, and I think Mike and Betty would say the same thing, that having that, that paradigm of understanding, man, have a love for the church, even if they're different from us, and have that centrality of Christ and. Christ. That, that sense of unity around who Jesus is. You know, in Cambria, we had this incredible thing that we had going on where, I'm kind of bragging a little bit, sorry, but I, it was just such a fun time because, you know, we got together with the Baptists and with the Catholics and with the, and all the different pastors, and we said, hey, we're going to pray for each other, and we're not going to build our own franchise. You know, we're not going to have our little McDonald's on the street and you have your whatever. No, we're going to love each other, and we're going we're to build up the kingdom here in Cambria. And you know, we did that over years. We met together, and we prayed, and then we had church in the park together, which was really fun. You know, I mean, the Baptists—they did the food, of course—and and the cook, and the—and Pastor Hollingsworth did the preaching, you know, and we did the worship, and the Presbyterians did the childcare, and and we did it in the park. And man, it was just such a. Sorry, I don't. That's you know, we rotated, I think, but. But the reality it was super fun. Why? Because it was—it was a church, man. And we were, and we broke down walls of stereotypes, and you know, the Catholics and the anglicans we were all together as one, and it was a church. And there's something beautiful about when Jesus is lifted up in a community or in a neighborhood, in a home, in your heart. So, a growing love for God and a growing love for God's people. But I think the third, uh, and it's every bit as important, is a growing love for others. You know, the lonely, the lost, the widow, those that are on the margins, those that don't have a voice, you know, the poor. I mean, our hearts need, to, we need to have a heart for others, and, and this heart of compassion. And we look at the life of Jesus, right? And what, what motivated Jesus? What's, what, what was the motivation of his heart in his life? Well, obviously, to please the Father, but he was motivated by a heart of compassion. And so this great love for, for those on the outside, for those that are other, is so very important. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He said, you know, the entire law, he said, is summed up in one command. Okay, here it is. It's going to be deep. You ready? Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, being a follower of Jesus is really pretty simple, isn't it? It's loving your neighbor as yourself. And you say, well, who's my neighbor? Anyone who has a need. Locally, nationally, globally. We're called to love everyone. And I think 1 Corinthians 13 really points out some key insights, really, into the heart of God and what really matters to God. So I'm just going to give you three kind of insights that I I kind of uh, pulled from the text. And uh, we'll read the first three verses together. And here's, here's the first insight I have, and then we'll read the text. The first of all, it's the futility of spiritual gifts without love. It's the futility, the utter futility of spiritual gifts without love. Let's read the first three verses of, uh, look at that, man, sweet. And Paul says, now I will show you the most excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, have not love rather, I gain nothing. You know, if you've ever been to America, I did a wedding yesterday in Santa Margarita. And I love, I love speaking at weddings from that text because it's great, obviously, for... All, you know, for our whole life. But it's incredible what what Paul is talking about. I think one of the things that we do here as followers of Jesus, especially if we've been around for a while, what we tend to do is we tend to mistake maturity. Or here, let me say it a different way. A mistake we often make about maturity is we tend to confuse maturity with giftedness. Do you know what I mean? So if we see somebody that's super gifted, we think, wow, that guy you know, or that woman or what a great teacher or what a great a prophetic person, what a great, you know, gosh, that guy's got such a great gift of this or that. And we tend to put people on pedestals, don't we? And I think what we end up doing is we confuse those. Now, remember this about gifts. Gifts are given, but fruit is grown. You know, in the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says what? Pursue love, but what? Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so we're to pursue love, but, you know, so gifts of the Holy Spirit come to whoever asks. A lot of times, people come to me, and you know, they say, "Well, you know, if God really wanted me to have the gift of tongues, you know, He would just give it to me." And I said, "Well, dude, that's not the way they come. Sometimes they do sovereignly, but you know how your gifts come? They come to those that ask. They come to those that have an expectation. So gifts are given, but fruit is grown." You know, my good friends Jack and Terry are here, who I love and adore, and I've known them for years and years and years. And I've had the privilege of living at the McCall farm twice. I went as a single man, and went as a married person. And uh, when the farm was just starting out, I remember, uh, I think the first trees we planted were almonds. Weren't they, Jack? I'm pretty sure those first seven trees were almonds. And then then there's the apples and the avocados came later. But I remember planting the trees, helping Jack plant the trees, and and, and thinking that, okay, now we're going to get some fruit, you know? But dang, it it takes a long time for fruit to develop, doesn't it? How long for an avocado tree? Seven years for a Haas? I'm talking to your dad, Davey, not you. (laughs) But, you know, if you want to chime in, go for it, man. Four or five. Okay, well, I was, I, was, I was close, right? Thank you, Davey. And so, you know, fruit takes time, right? And fruit is the character. Fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness and self-control, those things take time in our life. The things it, t- it takes pruning and, and watering and cutting back. And you know, as we abide in Jesus and put our roots down deep into him and remain in him and, and allow him to change us, and all of a sudden fruit starts developing in our life. Gifts are given. You can heal the sick, prophesy, whatever, the day you say yes to Jesus. But character takes a long time to develop. And the Apostle Paul goes on to name five spiritual gifts. He talks about tongues, prophecy... Knowledge, faith, and giving. And this is what he says. Without love, the exercise of these gifts is nothing. Matter of fact, it's fruitless. I love the way the message translates this verse. Listen to what it says. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. I love that verse. Folks, let me just say this. The Father is serious about you and I loving one another. It's a distinguishing mark as us as followers of Jesus. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us different. Sometimes the church is known more for what we're against than what we're for. And I want to just say something. That it's not what you believe that makes you different. It's what you do and put in practice about what you believe that makes you different. You can have as many beliefs as you want. You can know the Bible inside out. and You can still miss Jesus. And that means not just loving folks like us. Think about the radical nature of love we've been called to. Not just to love people that are like us, that maybe are from this, the coastal culture, or maybe the same skin color, or, or the same political party, or, or maybe the same gender, whatever it may be. But God, is, there's a radical nature of the love of God that he's called us to embrace that makes us different. Listen to Matthew 5.43. Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see the radical nature of Jesus' love? He's saying, my love is radically different than the world's type of love. My love is extravagant. My love love reaches across boundaries. My love reaches across nations. My love reaches across political divides and cultural divides. And it represents me. See, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's to love those even that we're, we're not like. And our standard, the measurement of our love, is really Jesus' love for us. Because Jesus said in in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, Jesus said, listen, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. So our measurement, our standard, the way that we're to love others, and not just others within the family of God, but everyone, is the way that Jesus loved us. Now, that's a pretty high standard. Let's ask the question, how did Jesus love us? Sacrificially, extravagantly. He loved us unconditionally, without an agenda. One of the things the Lord's been teaching me, actually, the last couple of years, but especially the last six months, is how to love without agenda. How to love people strictly for love's sake. Loving without saying, okay, I'm going to love them so I can get to know them, so I can invite them to church, I'm going to love them so I can... No, just love just for love's sake. And trying to view people as the way the Bible views people, the way that the Lord told us when in Genesis chapter 1 that human beings are made in the very image and likeness of God. If we really believe that other people, even people that are polar opposites than us, are made in the image and likeness of God, you know, that would eliminate racism, sexism. I wouldn't want to bomb those people. Why? Because I would love them the way that Jesus loves them. Without an agenda. Stanley Harbaugh wrote this great book called The Missional Church, and he said the role of church is to cultivate a people who can risk being kind in a competitive world, risk being faithful in an age of cynicism, risk being peaceful in a violent world, and risk love even when it's not returned because we have the confidence that in Christ... We've been born into a new reality. Is that hot? We've been born into this whole new reality. Now we're a kingdom people. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now we're a whole other people. We have a whole new value system, a a whole new way of seeing others, a whole new way of spending our time, our life, our money, a whole new way of treating others, a whole new way of loving others. We're We're a new people. We have a whole new identity. All things become new. Mother Teresa has a great quote. I love what she said. This is so challenging. She says, those who see us must see the love of Jesus. The God we ought to reveal is the God who first revealed himself to us as love. It is love that must direct every decision and every action of our lives. That is so challenging, isn't it? Because it's so difficult to do. But if we don't set the bar somewhere and then encourage each other along the way to do it, we'll never get around to doing it. You know, when we used to teach um, ministry training and, and um, the people like how to pray for the sick, different things like that, one of the things I used to say to people, or still do, is that, um, you know, the absolute worst thing that should happen, the very absolute baddest worst, is worstest a good word? or Ralph, is that okay? Theologically good? Okay. The worst thing that can happen is that someone should feel loved. After having have an encounter with you, they feel valued and they feel appreciated. They feel like they have intrinsic worth in God's sight. And the best thing that happens is they can get healed. And so, you know, that happens within here, and we're going to pray for each other at the end of the service, whether, or whether it's out on the beach or wherever, when we pray for each other. You know, recently, um, my sweet daughter Katie's here. Hi, Katie. Love you. And, and, and Katie's here, and Katie used to work at Brown Butter uh, Cookies. And um, I know she'll give you free samples if you go in with her. She'll give you a discount. But um, when Katie was away at school, uh, this was uh, about six weeks ago, is. Um, I wanted to get some cookies for one of the volunteers at Mountain Brook that have been helping me so much. And, um, so I went into Brown, Brown Butter, and I thought, yeah, hey, she loves cookies. So I uh, walked in, saw this really nice girl. Uh, she goes, oh, you're Catherine's dad. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm Bobby. And we started talking, and she had a, a big brace on her wrist. And I said, hey, what's the matter with your wrist? She goes, oh, I, I have uh, this really bad arthritis. I'm in constant pain all the time. She's probably I'm 21, 22, 23. I'm not sure. She's young. And I said, you're kidding. And she goes, no, it's, it's, I said, is it hurt right now? She goes, oh, yeah, it's, it's throbbing right now. And right away, I just felt like the heart of God said, if, if you'll pray for her right now, I'll touch her. And, like, you know, the brave, you know, man of God, I said, I said, gosh, I really hope that gets better. And I went and I paid for my <laughs> credit card. And then I got in my car and I drove home. And I drove, No, I was getting back on the freeway going to work because I was late like usual. And... Um, Right when I got in the car and I almost got to the exit and going on the freeway, I felt the Lord just really in a nice way to say, Bobby, if you go back and you can touch her, I'm I want to touch her. And I said, okay, God, you're on. So I turned around and I go back and, and I just said, hey, uh, gosh, I, I just I realized I needed another pack of cookies, you know, <laughs> 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 trying to work out my, my thing, you know. And I just said, you know what, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm just a, fo- I'm a follower of Jesus and, and I know he loves you and I can feel his heart for you and I really, if, would you mind if I prayed for you and for your wrist right now? He doesn't want you to be in that pain right now. And, and right away, she just kind of teared up. And, her, I, I, and I said, and I just, and luckily it wasn't a busy day at Brown Butter, right? <laughs> and so I but at Brown Butter, they have all the people working in the back, you know, so everybody's kind of, you know, they're looking at I was as quiet as possible. But I said, you know, I said, Jesus, just, Holy Spirit, come and show this precious. And I said her name, you know, just your love and your healing touch. And just let her know that you're, you're for her and you love her. And she was just, you know, in tears. And I saw this huge smile, and she goes, here, these are free. I said, no, no, I want to pay for them, you know. <laughs> and I'm anxious to go back. Now, I don't know if God healed her or not, but you know what? I know that I did what I was supposed to do. Why? Because God wants us to demonstrate love. Hey, that there's a God in heaven, and he cares for me. He's not against me. He, he's not angry at me. He's not mad at me. He's mad about me. And he longs for a friendship and a relationship with me. Well, the second insight that I want to have, not only the futility of spiritual gifts without love, but the second thing is the insight of what love really looks like. What does love look like with flesh on it? And so let's read verses 4 through 8 together. Paul says this, and he says, Love, you know, is patient. Love is kind. Love, you know, doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Love's not proud. Love's not rude. Love's not self-seeking. Love's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. There's a good one, right? I love that one. I lost my place. Love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. Love always hopes. Love always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. And love, what? Never fails. I mean, that's a great one to have on your fridge, right? I mean, it's so true. Love never fails. Now, again, you guys might already know this, and I'm sure Cody's taught you this, or Ralph or somebody. But, you know, in, in English, we have one word for love. Love. And so we love the Dodgers, you know, we love the surf, we love avocados, we love lots of different stuff, right? We love our, our spouse. But in the Greek language, there's several words for love, three primary ones. One is eros, or eros, and that's sensual love, is sexual love. The second word is phileo, or phileo, I'm sure I'm pronouncing them wrong, Ralph will correct me later, but phileo or philea, and, and that, that really speaks of a relationship, of, of a, that intimacy of best friend, you know, where you share your deepest thoughts, your your deepest hopes, your aspirations, your, your dreams together. And it's that sense of uh, great intimacy and communication. And it's that beautiful friendship. But then there's a third word, it's agape. And agape is that the most powerful word. It's that unconditional, it's the unselfish love. It's a love that's otherly, that puts others first. It's a gift love with no strings attached. And it's a love that's marked by giving, not by getting. And that's the same kind of love that was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus, Right? where the scripture tells us, but God demonstrates his love, his agape towards us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus just didn't talk about love. He just didn't write a book about love. Well, I guess he did. He wrote a book about love. <laughs> but he demonstrated it, why? By sending his son. He showed us what love was really like when Jesus incarnated himself and, and dwelt among us. And you see, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of others. And that means not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others, and that takes a lot of love. And that kind of love's not natural. and That kind of love doesn't come um, easy for a lot of us, right? I know for me, because we always want to, well, what about me? How about my needs? And we're in such a consumer society, and we've been so entrenched in consumerism in the Western world that we don't even realize, even in the church, we're so entrenched in consumerism, we think, it's all about me. Feed me, help me, serve me. Instead of being serve us... A service that's all about serve us. So there's a a cost to love. It's going to cost you something to love. But it costs the Son of God everything to love. There's a great verse in 1 John 3.16 where John the Apostle says, this is how we have come to understand and to experience love. Not just to understand it, but to experience. Christ died and sacrificed his life for us this is why we ought to live sacrificially for others and not just be out for ourselves. Don't you love that? I mean, that should, that's our mantra. That's our, that's, our, that's our marching orders. We're not to live solely for ourselves, but to live sacrificially for the sake of others and not just for ourselves. That's why the Apostle Paul can say these radical verses where he says stuff like, um, you know, for the, in 2 Corinthians he says, you know, for the love of Christ constrains me or compels me. That's a really strong word, constrain or compel. And he said, why? Because therefore I conclude that one died for all, therefore all died, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul was constrained about this. I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. And see, that's the challenge for us as followers of Jesus. Will we live for something bigger than ourselves? Or we'll just kind of go through the motions and you know, be good religious people. And, but there's something bigger. There's something more that we can do. And it starts with the small things of opening up our eyes and and opening up our heart and perhaps even opening up our home or whatever it may be, just to demonstrate the genuineness and the reality of the love of the Father. So even as Jesus laid down his life for us, he's called you and I to lay down our lives one for another. Now, when you think about that, I know that sounds very noble, but I'll tell you what, we might not ever have to die for someone but I'll tell you something, it might even be a, a greater difficulty. We might be inconvenienced. Because to be a martyr might be easy compared to going out of your way to help someone, right? You know, one of, the thing, one of the greatest things, demonstrations of love, I think we can do in our culture today, and obviously there's real practical ones like stuff Phil's doing and a lot of stuff that we do, you know, at Mountain Brook with the poor and stuff, but the reality is one of the greatest gifts you can give someone today in our culture is the gift of listening. You know that time is money, right? And and when you can sit down and listen without formulating an answer, and you can just love people and over a period of time listen to them, and over a period of time you know what they're going to say, they'll probably say, well, what do you think? Or get your, why? Because you've earned their trust. You're not trying to throw verses at them or have an agenda for them. No, you're just being a friend. and, And you're giving someone the gift of listening. That's a precious gift to give someone. And that's a very practical way we can demonstrate love. That's where we can start taking those baby steps and doing small things with great love. You know, we can do practical help, right? Helping someone move or, or helping babysit so someone can have a date night. Or, no, don't be signing up at the door right now for babysitting things. Although we love doing that. But, you know, different stuff like that. Or maybe sharing yourself with others. And, and you know one of the greatest things you can do? You can give encouragement to people. Someone said that encouragement is like oxygen for the soul. I mean, have you ever had somebody come along and just give you a compliment and encourage you? And, like, the rest of the day you're, like, floating on mid? I mean, it doesn't happen that way. I know for me, I'll tell you a quick story, is that I was thinking about this, and um, when I was young, that sounds like a song, when I was young, okay, never mind, um, when I was young, when I, went, when I went to high school, I went to large, Bruce, I'm going to tell a modern day story, I went to a large parochial high school in Orange County called Modern Day, and I, I played football there, and I was as a, in those days, if you're a sophomore in the varsity, it was a big deal, so I was, there's two guys that were brought up, I was one of the guys that were brought up, and so you play JV and varsity. But you're like the meat squad for the varsity. The ones that, you know, they just beat you up all day, you know. And I had this coach named Coach Estrada, Rudy Estrada. He's also my driver's ed teacher. He's a little short, stocky Hispanic guy. He was like a bodybuilder guy. And he was like the toughest guy. But he would take me aside and he would say, he used to call me Delance. He said, Delance, I see greatness in you. You're a leader. God's made you. And he would over and over and over again speak. And he would meant it. He'd see me out in the quad at school and he'd look at me and go, there's something God's in store for your life. There's something in you that's going to come out. And I remember thinking, God, I was just this, like, 160-pound skinny guy, you know. I, I didn't know, you know, and I knew that was for sports, but you know what? I, he, gave me, he gave me a confidence that perhaps I wouldn't have gotten before because my dad was one that always had these high expectations for me. But Coach Estrada said, no, man, you can do it. You can do it. I see something in you. And he would encourage me and encourage me. And I tell you, I, I don't remember, ask my wife, I don't have a, a great memory about my childhood or even a lot of stuff, man, but I remember Coach Estrada. What, what a great guy. And what a simple thing we can do. You know, it doesn't take something that's prophetic to point out something that's wrong in someone else. But it takes a whole lot of love and a whole lot of grace to see something really profound in someone and to call that out. And then watch him bloom and open up like this beautiful flower over a period of time. See, that's the beauty of the kingdom. That we get to give encouragement in love. See, folks, remember this. Love is a verb, it's not a noun. Love is action. Love is never passive. Love is never neutral. Love never just stands on the sideline. Love gets in and gets involved and gets dirty and gets its uniform dirty. That's what love is. Again, another Mama T quote. She says this, love to be real must cost. It must hurt. It must empty us of self. And real love does that, doesn't it? So what does love look like? And if you want to throw this up, Cameron, this is, this is the message. I love the way the message translates this portion, the portion of Scripture. It says this. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? Love doesn't strut. Right? Okay, never mind. Okay. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle and love doesn't revel while others grovel. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of others. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. Love always looks for the best and love never looks back. That's what love looks like. And so here's the question. You know what what love actually looks like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus. Somebody told me this a while ago, and I think it's so true. I I wrote it down, and I kept it because I, I like to think about this. It says this. This person told me that nothing tells the story of Christ better than when the church lives and loves like Jesus. Man, there's a narrative right there, right? Our lives are that walking story, those walking epistles, man, just shining with the love of God. Well, the third insight, and the last one, is simply this. I want to talk about the thing I see as love's call to grow up and to mature. Look at verses 8 through 11. Again, love never fails, but where our prophecies will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I came a man or a woman, I put away, I put childish ways behind me. So part of the process of maturing, of growing up, is putting away of childish things. Now the word put away is an interesting word. It means to kind of do away with. It can mean to choose to break off. It can also mean kind of put to death. And you say put away what? Well, childish action, childish speech, childish thinkings. And one of the primary ways we've been called to put away childish ideas is childish ideas about ourselves. Now, think about this children are self centered, right? Now, my grandchildren aren't, and my kids. But some of yours might be. <laughs> Just kidding. They're always looking to see how they're, you know, they're going to be affected, right? Don't kids do that? You know, it's all they're looking you know, about that. They say, you know, mine, or, you know, it's my toy. You know, look at a two- or three-year-old. They think, you know, they're the center of the universe, right? You know, mine, mine. They're fighting, you know, pulling back and forth. That's just what kids do. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know any adult, don't raise your hand, do you know any adults who think they're the center of the universe? Okay, let's, 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 let's ratchet this up just a little bit more. And again, don't raise your hands. Do you ever go through periods of your life where you think that you're the center of the universe? Well, that's a childish viewpoint. And I believe that the primary thing that keeps you and I from growing up, from taking responsibility, from maturing, from reflecting Jesus in our lives and living a life of love is simply this. It's selfishness. Living solely for self. So death to self really is mandatory for spiritual maturity and living a life of love. Jesus said this, you know, if anyone wishes to come after me, again, there's that conditional clause, there's that If. So we have, we have a part to play. He says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. So the key is it's a real daily choice, right? I mean, no one's arrived. I mean, I mean every day, it's, I realize, you know, if you look in the mirror and you, you can reflect and do this, Lord, you know, search my heart, you can see how selfish we are all the time. So the reality is we all have got, we all struggle with that. So again, what really matters to God? Let, let, let's we'll close here in verses 12 and 13. And Paul says, now when we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. He says, now uh, I know in part, and then I shall be fully known, even as I am fully known. But now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. You know, in certain churches, you know, people have status, you know, because they know their Bible really well. Oh man, they're just on it, you know. Now the churches, you know, people have status because, you know, they're really active in in the gifts of spirit, or they got killer worship, or they got this, or they got that. But I believe with all my heart that the the church of Jesus Christ is to be marked by one thing and one thing alone, and that's love. And I'll just say this, and you guys don't have to agree with me, but I'll just say this. You and I are no more spiritual than the way we treat and relate to others. Don't tell me how much of the Bible you know. Tell me the way you treat others. Tell me the way that you love others. Jesus said, again, one of those great things, by this, everyone's going to know you're my apprentice, by the way that you love one another. He didn't say about anything. He said, this is the one piece of evidence that's going to be so evident in your life that you really are a follower of Jesus by the way you love. And I think, you know, for a community of faith and for a people, when when we begin loving like Jesus loves, something very powerful happens. When you get in a room of people, and, there, and there's that atmosphere of love, and you take that home and into your, into your workplace and into the marketplace, something very powerful happens. It releases the power of the Spirit. It releases the power of the Spirit in our lives, in our families, in our church, you know, and in our community. And, and my prayer for, for Coastland's Vineyard, and again, I am so excited that, that you guys are here and this church is here. I mean, we've dreamed about a church in Morrill Bay for years, and we've We've talked about, you know, wouldn't it be great to be a a vineyard in Morro Bay, and hey, it's here. I mean, congratulations, you guys. You've done such a good job as a beachhead. I mean, I'm so stoked to see what's going on, but I was thinking about this old song, and it's about 10 years old. It's a a song by a friend of mine, Andy Park, and um, this is my prayer. This is why I've been praying for you guys all week, and I'm kind of tempted to sing it, but I'm not. (laughs) I might, but it's called Multiply Your Love. Listen to the words. Is says, it's going to be hard not to sing. (laughs) Multiply your love through us to the lost and the least. Let us be your healing hands, your instrument of peace. May our single purpose be to imitate your life. And Lord, through our simple words and simple deeds, let love be multiplied. Multiply your love through me to someone in need. Help me, Lord, to freely give this grace that I've received. Let my single purpose be to imitate your life, through my simple words and deeds, let love be multiplied. And the chorus goes, let us see your kingdom come to the poor and the broken ones. Let us see a mighty flood of justice and mercy, O Jesus, let love be multiplied. Multiply your church through us to the ends of the earth. With his only barrenness, let us see new birth. Use us as your laborers, working side by side. Let us see your harvest come. Let love be multiplied. I mean, that's my prayer for you guys. No matter what happens, I just know that God is going to do something incredible here through a people who learn to love, through people who really care. You know, it it just gets to a place where you have to just give a darn about people, about the other. And in a moment... I'm going to open up for you guys to share any kind of maybe picture, impressions, word that you might have because in reality when, when someone speaks, you know, the Holy Spirit's so great that for the common good he'll give pictures and words and scriptures and, and little things so we can, it's like a pieces of mosaic that come together and to form this beautiful picture. But the verse I want to leave you with, and this is my prayer and this is something I think the Lord spoke to me about is in, in John 15. Listen to this kingdom invitation. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, abide in my love. Now, this is like one of the greatest invitations in the history of the universe. I mean, I'm not trying not to be exaggerated, but this is, can you, you know what Jesus is inviting us into? The same friendship, the same interaction, the same intimacy that Jesus had with the Father before the foundation of time. He's saying, you know what? This is what's available to you. Come to me. If you're thirsty and drink, come and, and, and abide, live in, dwell in, put your roots down deep into my love. He's saying, come abide in my love. And my hope this morning is that you'd open up your heart, no matter where you are, if you're a Christ follower or if not, and that you'd allow Jesus to come and his love would rule and reign in the throne of your heart. Every day you can just say, Lord, here I am. God broken, messed up, Lord, but it's me, God. Would you come and... Make me more like you, God. Would you come and fill me with your love? Would you come and multiply your love through me, Lord?